Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we get back to our series in the book of James called The Matters of Real Christianity. Today, Pastor Roy will be looking at James chapter 1, verse 12, and talking about temptation, a matter of desire. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Today we're going to talk about temptation. We're back in the book of James. We took a little break, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, We are back in the book of James, and we are going to talk about temptation, a matter of desire. So we are picking up um, actually in verse 12, and we're not going to be able to touch on every single thing in every verse. I wish we could. Uh, But he talks about, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. How many of you have been to the Washington, D.C., U.S. Capitol building? I'm just curious, how many? All right, we got several hands. I've been there, but I did not know that inside there is a winding, twisting staircase that has 365 steps that go from the basement all the way up to the dome, the top of the dome. Does anybody walk those? Anybody here walk those? They say there's 365 steps, one for every day of the year, and it's a winding staircase. And what I want you to get in your mind this morning, I'm going to make you work a little bit. I want you to put a mental picture of a winding spiral staircase in your mind about that size, 365 steps, but about a fourth of the way up, there's a platform or a landing. Halfway up, there's another landing. Three quarters of the way up, there's another landing, and on top is the top floor. So you have the bottom floor, you have three landings, each taking up about 25%. Uh, of that uh, staircase. So I hope you have that picture in your mind. I'm going to come back to that and build off of that as we talk about temptation. Uh, But right before, and some of you I know, you're thinking, oh, is he going to make me climb those? Because I'm already tired. You know, uh, some of you uh, already were out for a jog this morning and you're raring to go. Some of you drug yourself out of bed and made it to the shower and got dressed and you're here. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, and, and made it. Let me just t- start off talking about the difference between a trial and temptation. There is a little bit of difference here. Both of them are challenging to the Christian, uh, but there is a difference between a trial and a temptation. First of all, the trial, the context does not include an enticement to sin. The purpose of a trial is to build and develop my faith, to strengthen my faith, to purify my faith. So God comes. Remember when 
Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah and was about to plunge the knife into his chest. And God said, wait, now I realize you fear God. And, but it says at the beginning of that chapter, he said that God tested Abraham. A test and a trial are very similar. It's not an enticement to sin. It is a test that God wants us to pass. It is a trial that God wants to strengthen us in. And so it is not a temptation, uh, the same as a temptation, because it's actually a good thing that God is bringing into our life. And that is orchestrated by God. God orchestrates those trials uh, into our life. Trials or tests are designed to build our faith, whereas temptation, on the other hand, is developed to undermine my trust in God. Because a temptation connotes a provocation to sin. That comes from the enemy, where he is trying to get us to sin and get off course and disobey God and get tangled up in a, in a mess. So tests are orchestrated to strengthen my faith, whereas temptations are orchestrated to strangle my faith. And that's the big difference. You see, a temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way, out of the will of God. Is it wrong to pass an examination? Of course not. But if you cheat to pass the examination, then you have sinned. The temptation to cheat is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing, passing the examination in a bad way. It is not wrong to eat, but if you consider stealing the food to eat, then you are tempting yourself. It is when we want to satisfy our desires outside God's will that we get into trouble. For instance, eating is normal. Gluttony is sin. Sleep is normal. Laziness is sin. In marriage, physical intimacy is normal. But outside of marriage, it is sin. Someone once said, the trouble with trouble is that it usually starts out as a whole lot of fun. <laughs> I thought how true that is. So what we want to do here now is we want to discern the real source then behind temptation. Because we know that tests and trials come from God. Temptation, the real source behind temptation... We need to see that because here's what it says in the text in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Why would someone say that? Well, someone would say that because they believe that God is the one behind the temptation. When he's not, that's false. That's a false understanding. It's a false theological view that God is actually the one tempting to try to get me to fall. God wants us to stand. He's on our side. We're on his side. He doesn't want me to fall. So it doesn't come from God. And here's how we can be reminded of this. Let's think about the character of God. Temptation does not originate with God. Here's how we know this. Let's think about the nature and character of God. First of all, God is holy. He is absolutely pure and holy and sinless. So why would he, at me trying to follow him, want to cause me to fail? He doesn't. He wants me to succeed. He wants me to be pure. Secondly, God is righteous. He is righteous in all of his dealings. He has no inclination in him toward sin at all. So he is not going to do that to me either. 
Thirdly, God is just. He would not do something intentionally to cause a believer to sin and disobey him. Why? Because he wants me to honor him. So he's not going to do the opposite and try to trip me up. And yet so many people think that God is the one behind temptation. Also, God is good. He would not be good if he was trying to trap me into some type of sin where I would live a defeated life instead of victorious. He wants me to live a blameless life, a radiant life, a God-honoring life, and experience his power and goodness in our lives. So, temptation. Where is the real source behind temptation? Most of us would say the devil. It's actually not the devil, according to this text. What does it say? Let's go on. When tempted, in verse 13, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Notice it doesn't say it comes from Satan. It comes from our sinful nature that is inside every one of us, internal, that I have this propensity toward temptation and toward sin. So temptation then comes from an internal evil impulse. That's where it comes from. An internal evil impulse. I do not face temptation simply because I am living in an evil environment or because I am surrounded by wicked people. I am confronted with temptation because I have a wicked heart. And so do you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is what? Deceitful and what? Desperately wicked. I have a wicked heart that I am born with, and so do you. In fact, Genesis tells us, does it not, that the thoughts of man are only evil continually. The inclinations of his heart, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, is only evil continually because we have a wicked heart, deceitful heart. So temptation comes from that evil, wicked, sinful impulse, the sin nature that resides in every one of us. And so temptation is the initial urging a person feels to commit a sin. It is a fleshly desire, a human longing for what God has prohibited. There are actually some Jewish theologians that actually believe that God created the evil impulse. However, I disagree with that. I think the evil impulse came as a result of our disobedience to God. So, as we think about temptation, what areas are we tempted in? Well, let me just throw some generalizations out. Temptation to place myself on the throne of my life includes power, position, money, fame, popularity, advancement, material possessions, I want to be free to control my life and make my own decisions independent of God. That's the temptation we all face. Every one of us faces that. I want to dictate to God under what conditions he can work and operate in my life. Temptation is a battle between then the flesh and the spirit. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5.17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit 
and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he says he realizes there is a law at work within him, and that is the law of the evil impulse that we all face. And so we have to deal with that, and we will deal with that until we are out of this fleshly body. We will all deal with it. So let's go back to our spiral staircase for a moment. Do you have that again? If we really keep the 365 steps, that's 91.25 steps. So just so you know, in between the platforms. I know some of you are going to try to figure that out, how many steps are in between. But here's what I want us to look at. Temptation itself is not sin. It is only when we yield to temptation that it becomes sin. So temptation, it's not wrong to be tempted because we're going to be tempted. And matter of fact, if you weren't tempted this week you probably didn't have your spiritual antenna up because temptation is coming all the time at us and we need to have our spiritual antenna up. Let's talk about the downward spiral then of temptation. We start off at the top. We're at the, we're, we're at the top floor and here's why believers are at the top floor. That's where we begin the journey. Why? Because as believers in Jesus, we are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. It tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1. If we are a believer in Jesus, we have been placed in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. This is our position in Christ. The enemy of our soul comes to us to try to get us to surrender this position by falling into temptation. He does this by getting us to take one step at a time off that top floor and begin to descend down the spiral staircase to fall into temptation. Now, here's something you need to be reminded of about the spiral staircase that each of us have in our mind. And that is this, the spiral staircase is internal. It, that means it is hidden from the public eye. You can't see my staircase and I can't see yours. You don't know which step or landing I am currently standing on, and I don't know which landing or step you are currently standing on. I can't know that, and you can't know that about me. The vital piece of knowledge each of us needs to know is this. Do we have a good understanding of what step we are standing on today? Do I have a good understanding of where I'm at? And is God pleased with the step that I am currently standing on? You see, it's terribly difficult at times to know if we're actually ascending the stairs or if we're descending. It takes a very sensitive spirit to be able to know that because a slip or a slide can happen to any of us very subtly. So, the first step away from God involves our desire. That's why I say temptation is a matter of desire. Because the first step away from God is a desire that would include our lust. It involves our emotions. You see, with desire, we have a desire for significance, for personal greatness for personal gain. 
Remember Jesus when he was in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. What did the devil tell Jesus? He says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. What did Satan do? Here's what he did. He made the focus of the temptation on what God could gain, but he never spoke about what he could lose. See, that's, that's the danger of temptation. Because when the enemy comes and he whispers something in our ear through the evil impulse of our heart, he whispers something about gain, joy, fun, good. But he never talks about, he always talks about what we will gain, not what we will lose. And that's the dangerous part about temptation. So desire. We have daily bombardments through advertisements. It has been estimated that Americans are bombarded by 1,700 advertisements a day through various forms of media. And while no one's going to purchase all 1,700, there's a philosophy behind that advertisement that says if you buy this car, you'll, you'll be this kind of significant person. If you wear these types of clothes, if you buy that kind of shampoo, if you will wear this kind of cosmetic, and, and, and behind all of that is something driving us towards significance, security, personal greatness, egocentrism, something that causes us to do that. And so we need to be very careful. And with that desire comes something that is attractive. Something that appeals to the flesh. And it's also something that is contrary to God's word. The pull of attraction comes from the desire of personal pleasure based on my feelings or selfishness. Because it is attractive, it makes it enticing. Look at the first temptation recorded in Genesis 3. When the woman saw, when Eve saw, the Bible says, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. It was desire plus attraction that pulled her away from what God wanted her to do. We see the same idea in Judges 14, the story of Samson, do we not? He was only concerned about what he wanted, and he gave no thought about what God wanted in his life. Delilah was an uncircumcised person. I mean, she was with uncircumcised people. I should say it that way. Now some of you are waking up. <laughs> she was not part of God's people. Samson didn't even know who she was. He was ignorant of her character, her values, her goals, and her dreams, and yet he's like, I've got the right one, baby. And he did not have the right one. He did not have a relationship with her. He hadn't really even spoken to her, yet he wants to marry her. Why? Because of desire and attraction that leads to temptation. You see, temptation often bypasses godly counsel. He failed to listen to the advice of his parents. Temptation captivates our hearts and our minds before we act on it. Isn't that true? Because what did Jesus say? Whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery where? Already in his heart. 
because the temptation captivates our hearts and minds before we act it out. In other words, we have taken some steps from the top floor and we have gone down the spiral, spiral staircase several steps and we don't realize it. In Judges 14.2, Samson said, I have seen, see, desire, attraction, and what he saw affected him, his thoughts as well as his behavior. So the first step is desire down the spiral staircase. The second step away from God will usually involve some form of deception. The lure of the bait. What does he go on to say here in this text? In verse 14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. There is a lure of a bait. I know we got a lot of fishermen here. I've been out with some of you. And some of you have a ton of lures. And you have different sizes and shapes and colors. And depending on what kind of fish you are going for, that's the kind of lure you're going to put on the line. And you put that lure on the line to attract a certain kind of fish. But with that, you are creating a desire in that fish, an attractiveness to that fish, and a deception to that fish because what is attached to that little lure are hooks. But the fish doesn't see the hooks. It doesn't see the danger. It is hidden because of the desire and the attractiveness. And it, it bites. Why does it bite? Because it's pleasing to the eye, it's hungry, it's going to get a meal, it's going to be satisfied. That's what the enemy feeds us with temptation. You're going to be satisfied. Bite into this. It's good. Why does the mouse go to the cheese? It doesn't see the trap. It sees the cheese. Just as the fish only sees the lure. And so that's what the enemy tries to get us to do is to bite into that. Again, the focus of the temptation is on what the fish will gain. Not what the fish could lose. You see, temptation will promise happiness, but it will produce heartache. It looks to blindside us so we don't see it coming. It is also seductive. It excites and allures someone. It is seductive. Satan strives to make the object irresistible. He makes sin sound and look logical. It is reasonable, but it begins to cloud my judgment. And I make decisions independently of God. Jesus hadn't eaten, right? 40 days, 49. Hey, make these stones bread. That sounds reasonable and logical, doesn't it? Make these stones bread. But Jesus came back and said, It is written. Seductive. It is also secretive. Secretive. I think about Joseph, who was seduced by Potiphar's wife. It was secretive because Potiphar was gone. It was seductive because she was coming on to him, wanting, and she really believed, I think, that Joseph would lie with her because of the secretive, seductive nature of everything, the desire and the attractiveness and the opportunity presenting itself that she was going to gain a victory over Joseph. 
But Joseph did not fall to the temptation. And the reason he did not fall to the temptation is he said, I cannot do this wickedness before God. And so there's a key to our defense to temptation is our, the presence of God is so vital that we understand that. There's also, I want to remind us of another story in the Old Testament that shows the seduction of the enemy in getting us to focus on something that it becomes an irresistible object and it drives us, unfortunately, to our destruction. It is recorded in Joshua chapter 7. The story comes on the heels of a great Israelite victory over Jericho. The Israelites march in and go around the walls of Jericho. The walls collapse and they go in and they have all the spoils. God has brought a great victory to them. They are beginning to take the land that God had promised to them. However, after this victory, the Israelites went in to carry off the loot. God had declared that all the spoils were accursed and they were not to take them. They were told not to take any of the spoils for themselves. God told them either to destroy them or they were to go into the Lord's treasury. Achan could not resist as his eye caught a beautiful Babylonian garment. 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold that he buried in his tent. An historian says that Babylon, the Babylon was famous for garments that were interwoven with pictures of various colors. Josephus calls it a royal garment. They believe it actually could have been the king of Jericho's garment. Maybe that's why he was so attracted to it and desired it so much. But either way, God judged Israel for this sin and allowed them to be defeated in their next battle with a small city called Ai, and they were miserably defeated. And I find it interesting that God judged Israel for one man's sin. We all face temptation to get our needs for security and significance from something or someone other than God. We can also face the temptation to get satisfaction in something or someone other than God. God wants us to get our security, our significance, and our satisfaction in Him and Him alone. Someone once said the distance between a great victory and a great defeat is only one step and often only a short one at that. One sad truth of reality in a fallen world is that we can be riding high on the cloud of some great spiritual success and the very next moment find ourselves in a valley of spiritual failure and despair. You see, someone yielding to temptation, living in sin, even then, if we can take the illustration that God judged the nation of Israel for one person's sin, what does that mean for the local church? If there is a person living in sin, yielding to temptation, you think your sin doesn't impact anybody else. It impacts the whole body of Christ. And maybe the reason God is withholding blessing or His Spirit is quenched is because of the sin in the camp. How vital it is that we live lives that honor the Lord. 
And maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews said, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many, many. Notice he says here in our text, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. I have a question. What is the enemy dragging the person away from? I'll tell you what I think. I think the enemy is dragging the person away from the person of Jesus Christ. He is dragging them away from the hope of the gospel, from the power of God, so that he can defeat them. You think about it. What has God left us here to do to promote the gospel? And if we are living pure lives, we promote the gospel. But if we fall to temptation, we are pulled away from the gospel. I can no longer be the gospel witness that God wants me to be. And it renders me ineffective and inoperative in the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom is hurt. And that's why the temptation is there. And that's why we need to be victorious over it so that people can be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he drags us away. He wants people to begin to focus on their physical and emotional needs to the neglect of their eternal soul. I think of 1 Peter 2.11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Your soul. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. We can even go to the New Testament and we can go to when the early church was established in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 5, you'll remember they were collecting money and Ananias and Sapphira come in to give their money and claim that they were giving all, this, all their money and they were only giving part of it, but they pretended and they, in a hypocrisy promoted themselves and because they lied about what they gave, the Holy Spirit struck them dead to keep this purity in the church. I mean, that, that's pretty significant, is it not? And so the early church had its first two funeral services pretty quick. The third step away, so we have desire, we have deception, and each one of these were going down the spiral staircase a little deeper, pulling us away from our position in Christ because of our practice that has been corrupted. God wants us to be in that position and our practice to match that position, that we are on that top floor with him, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The third step, away from God. Satan will encourage us in an act of disobedience, yielding to the temptation. Here's what he says. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, disobedience to God, violation of his word, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this third step 
down the spiral staircase is disobedience, yielding to the temptation. Now listen carefully. Once Satan has excited our desire through attraction and then has deceived us through seduction and secretive behavior, now the seeds have been sown to get us to knowingly disobey a clear teaching of Scripture. You see, he sows the seed. He doesn't want me to fall all at once. He doesn't want you to fall all at once. We're too wise for that. He does it little by little, a step at a time, a step here, a step here, little compromise here, little victory here, just a little bit at a time. It's very incremental. And that's why we need to gauge what step are we standing on right now. It's vital that we know that. And then he goes on to the fourth step. The fourth step will produce the sting, and Lorena read it this morning, of death. O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Right? He says the wages of sin is death. That's what Satan wants to do. The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. So it leads to death. That is the fourth step. When we get down to the bottom, we've come to the end. I want to come back, though, because we've talked about all the negative things. I want to talk about some positive things. What is our defense against temptation? God has given us plenty, and I'm going to give you several. And I hope you will take these and jot them down and think about them and think about what step you are on and where God wants you to be. Here's some defenses against temptation. Number one, stand on God's word. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, every single time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how we will stand victorious. What does God say? And I'm willing to stand on the word of God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Because one of the lies of the enemy in tempting us is saying, You know what? You're unique. Your situation is unique. No one has experienced what you've experienced. That's a lie. Because I come back to God's word, and he says, No temptation has taken me or anyone else except that which is common, ordinary, routine of life. And he also goes on to say that God is faithful. That's why I stand on the word of God, because God is faithful. He is going to help me as I stand on his truth. He is going to help me. He will not let me be tempted what I can, beyond what I can bear but when I am tempted, he will provide a way out so that I can stand up under it. God has provided many exits out of that temptation. The problem is we don't look for it. You know, the first thing you do when you get on a, an airline to fly, you know, the, the, the airline uh, attendant gets up and starts going over all the different things and says, and they start pointing out all the exits. Here's exits here and here's exits here. Here's exits. Why? In case of an emergency, you know how to get out of there. That's what God has done for us in his word. He has told us where we can find the exits. 
And how we can get out of that temptation, the problem is we don't look to get out. We've got to look for it and search for it. So standing on God's word. Secondly, solid prayer life. What did Jesus do in the garden under his most difficult temptation to give up the cross? He spent the night in prayer, in agony, drops of blood as it were, sweat drops of blood as it were. He had a solid prayer life that he went to the Lord and over and over through his three years of ministry on the face of the earth, he was constantly in prayer. He was aware, and when you are involved in prayer, you are aware of the presence of God. And that's what we need more than anything else. Remember, Joseph did not fall. Why? Because I cannot do this wickedness before God. The presence of God was so vital in his life. And so it is in ours. Jesus could have felt very isolated in the garden. Because the disciples left him, said, well, I'm all alone. I can't do this by myself. But he realized the Father was with him. Solid prayer life helps us do that. You know, it's hard to be engaged in prayer and yield to temptation at the same time. It's really difficult to do both. We have that conflict between the flesh and the spirit, but as we pray, God can kill those urges. Thirdly, steer clear of tempting situations, potential pitfalls. We need to steer clear of those. And some of that means don't hang out with the kind of people that are going to pull you away from God. Like Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, don't go with them. If you're hanging around people that want to pull you away and do things that are contrary to God's word, you're putting yourself in a tempting situation, don't do it. Just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. Maybe he wants you to click on a certain place on the internet. Your buddy said, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I can't do this wickedness before God. Fourthly, spirit-led decisions. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. That's the bottom rung. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice how we put to death the misdeeds of the body, the evil impulse that we have, the desire, the attraction, the seduction, the secretive, that all gets put to death by listening to the Spirit and allowing Him to lead me. Jesus, when He was tempted, the Bible says, He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And so even His leading into the wilderness the Spirit didn't take him out of temptation, but it protected him in the midst of temptation. And I think that's vital. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. When I make Spirit-led decisions, I crucify the flesh. That's what happens. The flesh is crucified. couple more. Set no evil thing before my eyes. Make that one of your boundaries in your life. I will set no evil thing before my eyes. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. You can put on your computer, God has provided a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13. He's provided a way of escape. 
Let's face it, we all know pornography is a huge issue, right? The temptation to it, the failure to it. But I'm telling you, God can give you victory, and that can be crucified in your life if you're willing to give it to Jesus. You're willing to set no vile thing before your eyes. Get yourself an accountability partner. It is vital. It has destroyed so many families. I heard a testimony not too long ago about a young man who was married, and he was only married a short time because he had a pornography problem, and he never dealt with it, and it destroyed his marriage. See, that's what happens. The enemy, that desire, pulls us away. The deception, the secrecy of it all. Because I can't see your staircase, and you can't see mine. But God can. He can see where each of us are on the staircase. And that's why we need to be spirit-led, because He can tell me where I'm at. My heart is deceitful. I don't know where I'm at apart from the Spirit of God. You don't know where you are apart from the Spirit of God. Set my affection on things above. Since then you have been raised with Christ, it says in Colossians 3. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Just set your affection. Where's your heart? Delight yourself in the Lord. I got two more, and we're done. Next, secure the borders with biblical boundaries. You're like, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Determine ahead of time how far you will go in a particular area before you are there. Young people, you're out on a date. You're with someone alone. What's your border? What is your biblical boundary with that young lady? And young lady, what is your biblical boundary with that young man? You better know before you ever get in the car. You better decide. What is my boundary? What are my physical boundaries? What are my geographical boundaries? Going into a, a bedroom? Getting in a back seat? I'm placing myself in a tempting situation. What is the boundary? It's vital. Write them down. Live by them. Ask God to help you live by them. You can, almost, you can almost write down when people are going to fail. You can see the seeds that are there. They're out way late at night, on the weekend. They're alone. They're away from everyone. There's no accountability. It's, it's a seedbed for failure. I want to encourage you not to do that. Same thing if you're up late at night and get on the computer. That's a seedbed. You better be careful. Secure the borders with biblical boundaries. And lastly, strive to glorify God in all areas of my life. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It is not unusual to face temptation. It's very normal. We're all going to face it. But the good news is God is for me and he is for you. He wants to see us succeed. He wants to see us excel. He wants to see us live holy, righteous, blameless, radiant lives. He is for us. Holy for us. 
And that's a great joy. So if you are finding yourself defeated in some area, come to the one who can give you victory in your life. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And while you do, let me ask you a question. As you think about that spiral staircase, what step are you on? Have you discerned that? Or maybe you don't really know what step you're on. Have you asked God? Is God pleased with the step you are on? Or are there some decisions that you have made where you know you have been tempted and you have yielded to that temptation because the desire and the deception and then you've had experience of disobedience and you're heading toward death. Where are you? Just as God came to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, where are you? What step are you on? And is God pleased? If God has convicted you about an area of your life, would you this afternoon sit down and write down some biblical boundaries? The Bible says if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never been on the top floor because you have not had a position of being in Christ because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You don't know him personally. So you've never been on the top floor. And you're probably down toward the bottom. Because <laughs> the Bible says that we are born dead, spiritually dead. And only the Spirit of God can quicken us. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that is the only way you can be put up where God wants you to be, at the top of the spiral staircase. Have you been placed there by Christ? Are you confident? Or what about you as a believer? Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Have you had victory over temptation? Or has temptation had victory over you? Would you please give that to God? Would we realize that all of our lives impact the local body, the local church? We desperately need a spiritual movement of God. And He will not work where there is sin. Not the way He can if we don't confess it. If you have questions about your spiritual life, your spiritual journey, I'll be greeting folk at the back door. I would invite you to come by and speak with myself if you have questions or you need someone to pray with you. Please, we are not here. We're on the same team. We want you to succeed. We want you to be successful. We want you to grow in your spiritual walk. Would you open up your heart and allow God to speak to you? We'd be glad to talk with you. Or if you want to call on the phone and call the church and make an appointment, we'd be glad to meet with you and help you in your spiritual journey. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. 
if you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.